Good evening. It's good to see everyone out this evening. Um, we are in the process of going through our uh, lectureship series. And if you're familiar with our lectureship series, we once did that in the springtime, and every week we would have a, a speaker. And this year we changed that to a month on a monthly basis. And it's uh, it's my turn tonight to uh, to continue that, and I'll be talking on marriage and family. The theme has been in the fear of the Lord. And we're talking about different subjects as pertains to our lives and how we can relate to those things in the fear of the Lord rather than without the fear of the Lord. Um, so it's a continuation of, of uh, the lectureship series. Just want to remind everyone of a couple of things we've already talked about. Our, our brother uh, Alan Holcomb spoke to us in the first lesson and uh, one of the things he brought out, he uh, referred to Proverbs uh, 1 and verses 1 through 7, where in verse 7 we see the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And he noted that it's something that's active and not passive. It's something we physically have to pursue. It's something that just doesn't happen. We have to make sure that we have the fear of the Lord. And pretty much it's that attitude towards doing what God would have us do. Uh, Kevin uh, brought his lesson, the second lesson, and his lesson was on wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Now you might remember he had that famous line from that Jurassic Park movie uh, that he quoted. Um, and in talking about wisdom, he, he mentioned that one of the scientists said, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And I really like pointing that out. I see something in other lessons that I think was really good. I kind of steal those things sometimes. But uh, the other scientists were being criticized because yes, they could do a certain thing, but they had no respect for whether or not they should do it. And when you're talking about the fear of the Lord, then you're talking about respect also. And so, I'm bringing my lesson with that same attitude that we, in fact, the fear of the Lord is an attitude. And we should respect what God says about a particular thing. So when we consider the fear of the Lord, we're talking about respect, we're talking about what God said about some particular thing in our life. And for me this evening, uh, it's marriage and children. And I would also say that uh, as we said in, uh, as I just said, the, the beginning of knowledge is fear of the Lord. What we're wanting to gather is knowledge. We're, whatever subject we're going to talk on during this lectureship series, uh, we're wanting to gain knowledge about that particular subject. And um, so, as I go through my lesson, there's, there's really four things that I really want to talk about, four points that I want to bring about. Uh, the very first thing, and you're going to note that I, my lesson's heavy on marriage. Uh, I think really that's certainly where family stems from anyway. So, uh, first point is going to be what is marriage and the resulting family, and define that. Uh, where does it come from? How do we get this concept of marriage? Uh, are there any rules that govern it? And what are those rules? And what has it been compared to? I think there's some comparisons both with marriage and even hopefully you'll see with, uh, with the family that we have some comparisons uh, in our scriptures. And again, with the fear of the Lord, that's the beginning of knowledge, so we want to have the right attitude. There is one other element of the fear of the Lord, and Kevin again brought this out. Uh, Deuteronomy 10, 11, and 12, it says where we're, it tells us, 
fear and obey God and love Him with all your heart and all your soul. Kevin mentioned his father. He mentioned that he was bigger and stronger than his father at some point. But he knew his father grew up a certain way. And even though he might could take him, he wasn't so sure about that. And so he had a healthy respect, a healthy fear of disobeying his father and what the consequences might be. But he loved his father more than you could possibly love anyone. He, had a, he loved his father with all his heart and soul. I fully believe that. And so even though that situation was there and that, that element of fear was there, also in Matthew 10, 28, uh, the people that are talking there were concerned about what the uh, authorities might do to them. Throw them in prison, beat them, maybe even to the point of uh, being killed. And they were concerned about what might happen to them physically. But then they're told, don't worry about what happens to you physically. Be, or don't be fearful of those people. Be fearful of God who can destroy both body and soul. And so, uh, fear of the Lord does have a certain uh, aspect of consequences. In fact, when we're talking about the different subjects we're talking about during this lectureship, uh, some of those consequences might be here on earth. This morning even, we, Bob um, talked in his lesson about the consequences that Achan had uh, for what he did for taking spoils from the battle of Jericho. And uh, they lost the battle of Ai. And there were consequences. 36 men died. And then ultimately Achan and his family had consequences. They were stoned. So there are consequences in this world for things that we might do. And when you look at marriage, same thing is true. If we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful about choosing a spouse, for instance, if we're in a marriage that we shouldn't be in, there can be distinct consequences um, to us here on earth beyond our, not to mention what the consequences might be in this life to come. Uh, if we don't have respect for marriage rules and guidelines, uh, we should be concerned what God says about it, but there can also be some consequences to us here in this life. And then not paying attention to how we raise our children, not paying attention to what God says about us bringing our children up in the way that they should go then our children can have a lot of problems, can bring a lot of heartache uh, because of those situations that, that might result from that. So, you know, there are definitely some consequences and there's definitely some issues as far as true fear of the Lord, but basically attitude and respect is what I'm, what I'm looking at. So, the first um, point that I was going to make, what is marriage? Um, the first couple we see in the scriptures, the first what I would say as a, a union, as a couple, is in Genesis chapter 1 and in verse 27 we read, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God He created him. Male and female He created them. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So He created them male and female. And in Genesis 2, and looking at verses 18 and then also 22, 23, and 24. Genesis 2, 18, God said it was not good for man to be alone and He decided to create a helper suitable for man. God could see that of all the things He would created, there wasn't, some, there wasn't a creation that was compatible to man. 
that he didn't have a suitable helpmeet or helper. And so he created a woman for man. In verse 22, God fashioned woman from the rib he took from Adam and brought her to him. And Adam said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then in verse 24, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. We hear that a lot of times if you go to a wedding ceremony, we hear that quoted. And um, it comes from the scripture, it comes from God's word. And so I've kind of taken care of two of my points when I mentioned these, just these scriptures here. Uh, when you ask yourself, what is it? We see right here, it's a man and a woman. Or, uh, originally it was a man and he didn't have a suitable partner and God created a suitable partner from him, uh, for him, from him actually, from his rib. And fashioned woman, presented him to the man and he called her woman. And the two became one flesh. So man and woman joined together, that's marriage. That's what we can define from the scriptures as marriage. And then where did it come from? Well, it's pretty obvious right here that God created everything. And when he saw that this was a situation that needed to be corrected, since man didn't have a helpmeet, a helper, he fashioned a helper and gave her to the man and they became husband and wife. So what is marriage? A man and a woman joined together as one flesh. And where did it come from? It came from God. So it should be real simple, right? We should be able to read it, not a problem. No issues with marriage. Unfortunately, in society today, you point out something like that and you hear, well, that's, yeah, that's kind of old fashioned. That's kind of out of date. There's lots of marriages. So unfortunately, because of what we hear in the world today, uh, we have to talk a little bit more about it. So one thing I'm going to talk about is what it's not. Uh, I thought about bringing some, uh, uh, a picture up here of a German Shepherd, but I thought, eh, I can just describe, everybody knows what a German Shepherd is. So if you think about a German Shepherd, and I could show you a picture of one, I'd say, now this is a dog. And everybody's saying, yep, that's a dog. I could hold up a picture of a cat and say, this is not a dog. Everybody like, yeah, that's a cat, that's not a dog. Hold up a bird. That's not a dog. A fish, that's not a dog. Hold up a picture of a poodle, let's say, well, no, that's, that's also a dog. Okay, a chihuahua, that's also a dog. But that's not what we see in the scriptures as far as marriage is concerned. There's one kind of marriage. Um, there's a lot of times where God said there was one thing. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 in the fourth verse, one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now I realize that marriage is not mentioned in that scripture, I understand that. But the concept that God would say there's only one of this thing is not an unusual thing. If I ask most everybody in here, how many different ways can you get to heaven? Well, there's one way to heaven and that's through Jesus. But you go out into the world and say, well, there are there different ways to get to heaven? Well, you got Buddhist and you got this and you got that and different types of religions and they're real sincere people. So how could you say that they're not going to heaven? Well, I don't. The scripture says there's one way. 
So there's times where God says, there is this way and it's this one way, and there's not another marriage. Now, we'll see in a, in a few minutes that there's marriages that shouldn't be, but marriage is marriage is marriage. There's not different types of marriage. So to, to say that God created marriage as there is a unique uh, situation that is marriage is not that unusual of a concept for what we see in the Scriptures. But, remember we're talking about in the fear of the Lord. So when the world is telling you about different things, there you don't really have the fear of the Lord. They don't have the respect of God's Word as far as defining the things they want to. So left to their own understanding, they can come up with all kinds of stuff. I didn't have to do a lot of research uh, when I was looking at some unusual marriages. And uh, some of these might sound like a joke, and yet they're not. Uh, I wrote down eight different things I found just doing some research. And uh, these were called marriages. There's a man that married a doll, kind of a mannequin. He claims that he's married. Here's a doll, and we're married. A woman married the Eiffel Tower. She actually changed her name. Her last name is now Eiffel, and she claims to be married to the Eiffel Tower. A man married himself. Apparently, he couldn't find a suitable mate. Uh, a man who claims to have married a burrito. A woman who married a rock. She's a geologist, so she was fond of rocks. A man who married a hologram. And he claims that she's always smiling and she's never upset with him, and so this is the perfect mate. Uh, a woman who married a duvet. Now, they described it as a duvet. That's a quilt or a blanket or a comforter or something like that. She says she feels so comfortable when she's with her duvet. So, claims she's married to a duvet. And then a man who married a smartphone. Now, I've seen people really attached to their smartphones, and so, you know, I, I wonder sometimes if they don't consider themselves married. So, one good thing about this, that when I looked at all these, and I found them, and there's lots, there's many, many more things out there, uh, they're not considered legal marriages. The people who, who did this, who said they got married in these ways, uh, they actually did have some ceremonies, and they did have friends invited, and it was celebrated, and they claim this to be a marriage. But legally, it's not. But I, I, I point this out because I just want to bring up how little regard that the world has, some people have, for the institution of marriage, for what God put together, what He describes in His Scripture. Some of these, maybe they've never even looked at the Scripture. But if they were talking about marriage in the fear of the Lord, none of this would have occurred. They would have had some respect for what God said and some respect uh, for marriages. And I really don't think they, they do. So, like I said, these were not what you would call uh, legally recognized. But we do have some things that are legally recognized. So one of the things I wanted to talk about when it comes to marriage is I want to talk about remarriage. I want to talk about divorce and remarriage. Now, you can have many lessons just on divorce and remarriage. I understand that. But when you talk about in the fear of the Lord, the Lord is very specific about di uh, divorce and what happens if you're remarried and you're not correctly, you're not allowed to be remarried. Um, and even in the world, there are people that will go into a marriage and they'll have their vows and they'll say things in the ceremony like, till death do us part, and these are legally recognized marriages. But I hate 
to keep bringing Kevin up, but Kevin can tell you that there are some things called prenuptials, legal agreements. He's, he's not involved in anything like that. That's not something he, he would help someone with. But there are people that go into a marriage and they either have the attitude, well, if it doesn't work out, you know, I can, I can just get divorced. I, I don't have to stay married. Or they will have an agreement drawn up, even though they're saying, we're going to stay married forever till death do us part, all those wonderful things they say. But there'll be an agreement that will kind of work things out ahead of time. They're going into it with a document and a contract on how they're going to dissolve it. I don't see respect there for marriage. I don't see anything there that's in the fear of the Lord. I looked at some statistics, and the latest statistics I found were as of 2019. In the United States, of all first marriages, most all marriages, about 50%, about half of all marriages end in divorce. First-time marriages, 41% end in divorce, first-time marriage. If you've been divorced and you marry again, second marriage, 60% of all of those end in divorce. If you've been married, uh, if you're married for a third time after divorce, 73% as of 2019 ended in divorce. Three out of four ended in divorce. Not a lot of respect for what God says about marriage. Um, in the United States, there's a divorce about every 42 seconds. On average, you average it all out, about 42 seconds. Now, we're keeping up because there's a marriage about every 16 seconds. So, we got more marriages than we do divorces. 15% of all adult women in the United States, current, as of 2019, are either divorced or separated. In 1920, that was 1%. Today, it's 15%. The average time of a first marriage that ends in divorce, about eight years. If, it's, if it ends in divorce, it lasts about eight years. All of this is legally recognized. Not a problem in the United States, most every state, pretty much for whatever reason you want a divorce, it's allowed. The reasons people revort, uh, are divorced, the things that are given, the reasons that are given, lack of a commitment, 78% of the time, just simply don't want to be married anymore. We argue too much, 56% of the time. Infidelity, 55% of the time. I, I thought that would be a little higher, but 55% of the time that's brought up in legal proceedings on divorce. We, married just, we just married too young. I, I agree, people can marry too young, but that's one of the dangers of marrying too young because you just can't say we're just too young so we're gonna, we're gonna divorce. Uh, married too young, 46% of the time. Unrealistic expectations. He's not that knight in shining armor, I thought he was. And so, unrealistic expectations, 45% of the time. Lack of equality in the relationship, 44% of the time. You remember when we read about the woman being a helpmeet? You know, sometimes I think about, you know, there's, there's so many things I'm lacking and Robbie makes up where I'm lacking a lot of times. And then hopefully I'll make up some places maybe where she's lacking. She doesn't lack too much, so. Uh, but it's not equal. It's not, it's not meant to be equal. We're supposed to be helping each other in whatever way we're needed to help each other. Uh, lack of um, preparation for marriage. We just weren't ready to get married, 41%. Domestic violence, which I thought also would be a little greater, 25% of the time. And, and basically, y'all heard it, in, irreconcilable differences is put down a lot of times. I don't know how often that is, but for pretty much any reason, legally today, 
People can get divorced. And sometimes multiple reasons are given, but it really doesn't matter. It's legally recognized. One other statistic, if both parties that are married had previously been divorced, they're 90% more likely to end in divorce. Um, if there are strong religious beliefs, it's a little better, but it, it uh, makes it 14% less likely that it will end in divorce. It doesn't completely take it away. Now, it's all religious beliefs, but strong religious beliefs do help. So, to me that shows a real disrespect for the sanctity of marriage and what God would say about marriage. I, I can remember when I was younger, I, I, you rarely heard about divorce. And if you did, it was something that was kind of hushed. It was, there was a little bit of shame involved in it. Not so today. It's, it's just a fact of life. It's just a common thing. Uh, it's considered a part of life. Like I said earlier, it's just a way that I can get out of a bad marriage. And people go into it thinking. I saw there's a commercial running right now. There's a company called Kayak that you can, they'll help you uh, plan a vacation or whatever. It's about a 15 second commercial. It starts out with a guy sitting in a hot tub and he's talking about we finally were able to go on our honeymoon. And then it pans to the woman and she says, yeah, she's thanks to Kayak. Or, uh, we got all this deal and we were able to do this and able to do that. And then it goes back to him, he, or she says, it's too bad about the divorce. And then it pans away and there's another man sitting next to the woman in the same hot tub with his arm around her and says, he said, yeah, but it was a great divorce. It's just so amazing to me that something like that is part of advertising. I mean, there's just no concern whatsoever about what God thinks about marriage and particularly about divorce. But in the fear of the Lord, we're going to have a better respect for marriage. Unfortunately, there's another change that I have to mention. The federal law now in all 50 states since 2015, by federal law from the Supreme Court, uh, we, can, we have to recognize marriages regardless of gender. So same-sex marriage all 50 states. Now there's some states that are fighting it, but it is federal law now. Um, and so it is something that we've come to now. Certainly not a respect for the Lord. Go back to Genesis chapter 2 and verses 22 through 24. After God fashioned woman, He didn't fashion another man, He fashioned woman, would read there that He brought her to the man and in verse 24 it says, a man shall leave his father and mother, not mother and mother, not father and father, and be joined to his wife, not his, not his husband, and they shall become one flesh. In Matthew, the, uh, Matthew chapter 19 verses 3 through 10, I, I won't read all of that right now, but in that, we're reading the same thing. We're talking, in marriage, we're talking about male and female. We're reading what we previously read in Genesis, that they're no longer two but one flesh. But then it says there in that reading that, therefore what God has joined together, in verse 6, what God has joined together, no person is to separate. We were never meant to separate. We were never meant to, once we are joined together, to be separated. We're asked, the question comes up in that reading, why did Moses allow for divorce? And, his, and the answer is because of man's hardness of heart. 
Why do we get to where we are now? Well, it's because of us. It's not because of God. And it's because of our lack of respect for what God says. And then also, divorce except for sexual immorality and remarriage is considered adultery. There's only one reason for divorce. Just like there's one marriage and there's one God and there's one way, we're only given one reason that we should consider. Not all those things that I just listed, not all those statistics. And then also, there's plenty of places where we recognize that there is a place created for liars and murderers, but also homosexuals. Same-sex marriage, it has no regard for what God says about marriage. It also mentions in that that I just said, that the scripture I just uh, quoted or, or referenced, the apostle said, if the relationship is this way, it's better not to marry. When you look at the statistics we just read, I think that's true for a lot of people. It would have been better for them not to marry. Been better for them, if they're too young, they need to, be, they need to wait a while. They need to consider, first of all, what the Lord says about marriage and understand that we should be picking someone, choosing someone that's going to be a helper for us and what God would have us do. And we have a relationship as well. <clears throat> so what are the rules if we're talking about marriage in the fear of the Lord? One of the best descriptions that I know of is in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, and starting in verse 22 and reading through the end of the chapter. There's some comparisons here. You remember I mentioned early on that I'd, I'd be making some comparisons when it comes to marriage and the fear of the Lord. In verse 22, wives, submit your, to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, he should be, that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband." All of that pretty much that I just read is what he would politically incorrect nowadays. To say that women are sub should subject themselves to their husbands as to the Lord. To say that husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church. Not so hard to, to take, but that part about wives being in subjection or respecting their husbands in the same way that, that uh, Christ's relationship with the church was then that's a little hard for people to take because they don't have the fear of the Lord. They don't have the respect for the Word. <clears throat> and that's brought out clearly in verse 33 where it says, Nevertheless, 
As for you individually, each husband is to love his own wife the same as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. As far as family is concerned, I'm going to approach that a little bit differently also. I want to define it and consider it in the same way that I looked at this comparison. Um, there are a lot of ways that we see so-called families. First of all, like I said, you've got marriages that I don't know that you can call it, oh, I know you can't call it a marriage, even though it's being called a marriage. And so in that marriage, same-sex marriages, regardless of gender marriages, then there's adoptions going on and there are children being raised in those families. Uh, I don't know that, that, I don't know the percentage, but I can't imagine that those children are being raised at God, as in the way God would have them raised. I'd like to start with another comparison. If Christ and the church are comparing, you could take Christ and the church and compare it to marriage, then what would the family be in that setting? What would the children in that setting be? And I would say that as we obey the gospel and become a child of God, that we become part of that family. We refer to ourselves as the family of God. We refer to ourselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when you look at the family, then you're looking at what we have right here in this assembly. And in other assemblies all over the world, really, as far as those that are being added to the church. Uh, they are children of God. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. So I would say that as far as Scripture is concerned, in a comparison, uh, that's where you can see children as far as, uh, as far as the Scripture is concerned. I, I really believe it was foretold. If you look in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. Now we read Isaiah 53 a lot of times uh, before the Lord's Supper, and we talk about the suffering that Christ was to, was to endure on the cross. Pierced for our offenses, crushed for our wrongdoings, by His wounds we are healed, Cause the wrongdoings of us all to fall on Him. Who's the we and the us and us all that's referred there? It's the individual Christians. It's the children of God. And in the fear of the Lord, we become children of God, and so we become these children of this bond of Christ and the church. In Isaiah 5 and verse 10, He, Jesus, We'll see his, the New King James Version says seed. The uh, newest American Standard Bible says offspring. So he will see his offspring. So because of what Jesus did, there are children. There are offspring. And so we can clearly see the family, the children of God. Jesus never married. He never had any children. So that's all that it could be as far as the children of God. And when you look at how the family of God grows, in Mark chapter 16, verses 15 and 16, the disciples were told, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. The one who is, has believed and has been baptized will be saved, but the one who has not believed will be condemned. So we actively seek to add to this family, to bring more children into the family of God. Uh, once that happens, we have new Christians here. We have 
Caroline, just recently became a Christian. She's a babe we call a babe in Christ. Now, she learned enough to know what she needed to do to obey the gospel. And her, you know, whether it was through uh, lessons learned here or parents teaching or, or whatever, she learned enough to do that. Well, it doesn't stop. She's still a babe in Christ. So we refer to new Christians as a babe in Christ. And then we have an attitude that they've got a lot of learning to do. We, we can't say, well, they made it. They're good to go. They can, the rest of it's on their own. No, we, we're supposed to be making sure that they grow and they're nurtured and they're able to continue the journey that they've started. Our, our children at home are not really any different, okay? They come to us a blessing from God, certainly a blessing when we have a new sister in Christ, brother in Christ, but our children that are given to us, it's a blessing from God. And we're expected, if we have the fear of the Lord, if we have respect for His Word, to raise those children up in the way that they should go. There's a lot of things that I could refer to as far as you know, what to do about discipline and what to do about raising your children and different responsibilities for that. But basically it has to do with attitude. There's not an issue with us understanding that newborns, when we have our newborn children, we bring them home from the hospital, they can't do anything for themselves. We're responsible for everything in their lives at that point. And we start out feeding them milk or formula of some kind, they don't eat the same things we eat. And as they grow, then eventually they get more, you know, able to eat more food and pretty soon we're shoving pizza in front of them. But initially that's not the case. Initially they start out everything that they need they get from us and we can see that. But another part of that is we need to be raising them up as God would have us raise them. No different than we have concerns for new babes in Christ. So I think really it's, it's more to look at an attitude, the attitude that we need to have about how we raise our children and make sure that we understand that we have to have a respect for what God wants us to do. We raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We discipline our children when they need to be disciplined. We correct them when they need to be corrected with love the same way that God corrects us and disciplines us. So I would say that when it comes to family, it's pretty much the same whether it's the family of God or our, our own personal family. <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 5, 13 and 14, for everyone who partakes of milk is unacquainted with, I'm sorry, who partakes of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness for he is an infant, but solid food is for mature who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. In the same way that we start our children out on milk and eventually they can stand other foods, we start our children out as far as learning about God. And, and you know, I, I know there's people that come into uh, obeying the gospel having learned something else or nothing else and they're much, much older. But as far as us and the family and raising our children, we treat them the same way that we would. The scriptures tell us you start out with the milk and then later they can, they can handle something stronger. We, we recognize that when it comes to children. So, I, I hope what I've tried to present here this evening is that it's all about an attitude, regardless of what you're talking about. Whether you're talking about marriage or raising children, 
or whether you're talking about wisdom or some of the other subjects that we're going to be working with in this lectureship series. The fear of the Lord is about attitude and respect and a little bit of fear of the consequences. I recognize that. When it comes to raising children, I've heard it said that, you know, they don't come with a book. And there's lots of books that you can find about raising children. You can find a lot of books about marriage. But when it comes to the fear of the Lord, really, I mean, this is, this is the only book we need. The Scripture is all we need. And we have to respect that that's what we need, that that's what's necessary in whatever we come against in, in this world. I haven't said much this evening about obeying the gospel. Talked a little bit about uh, what the apostles were told to do to bring people to Christ. Um, that's not really been what's in this lesson, but we may have some here this evening that need to obey the gospel. Uh, they, they have the knowledge, they know enough, they're ready to obey the gospel. They accept Jesus as being the Messiah, as being the one who died for our sins on the cross, that He shed His blood so that those sins can go away. And recognizing that we do have those sins. And that with those sins we're not going to heaven. We need to, to recognize that. We need to know that the only way we're going to have those sins removed is to come in contact with the blood of Christ. And that happens in baptism. So we are buried in baptism, come in contact with His blood, we're raised a new creature, and then we can continue to live the life that God would have us live. And maybe you've done that, and you haven't been living the life that God would have you live, and you may need to make some correction to that. If that's the case, then we can do that this evening as well. So if you're subject in any way to an invitation, please come while we stand and sing.